This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now. Unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. MBS plus a guest just BSing about a guest's favorite thing. MBSing, everyone loves something, so let's talk. Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Alyssa Samari. And she talks to me about her interest in colonialism. I think I did a pretty good job pushing my agenda and bringing in how colonialism applies to all of our current politics. So I apologize if that gets annoying, but it's hard to ignore. Alyssa studied a lot of things surrounding this in college, which she'll get into and kind of describe what her journey was through uh studying colonialism and being a rebel and uh, her personal experience with all this. And I think we probably could have honed in on one aspect to get a little more uh, focused conversation, but I'm honestly glad that we did it the way it did. It has me kind of thinking about a lot of this conversation in a really different way than I expected to. And the role of women in colonialism specifically, as opposed to just thinking about the, you know, physical travelers into new places and a forcing of themselves uh, onto a native people uh, and a native culture and a native religion and all those things. There's a lot to unpack here, and I think we did a lot of unpacking of it. So I am glad to have had the conversation. You can catch Alyssa at the Annoyance Theater and any number of projects at the Playground Theater playing with Recess and at the Playground Theater's new new show playing with the Blue Angels, a team of which a couple of members have been past guests of the show, Brian Duff, Kevin Reader, Love the Blue Angels. It's a good time. Got to get some of those other buddies in their recording studio as well. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate the Chicago Podcast Co-op for continuing to coordinate sponsorships for the show. And I would encourage you to come check out The Fishbowl, which is how I met Alyssa in the first place. Sight and Scene hosts the show. We book a number of other performers who are more established in the community to play with students. So they get an opportunity to learn from some more experienced improvisers. And then Sight and Scene closes the show. And it's just a good time for all. Thursday nights at 930, uh, especially welcoming to newer improvisers. But... I think open and welcoming to everyone, as is evidenced by Alyssa's experience with the show. That's how I got to know her and why she agreed to be in the studio here with me. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this conversation. How's your day been so far? Honestly, sort of. I mean, like work was good, but I found out that my um, childhood favorite restaurant closed down. No! Yeah, that is a very specific tragedy. I know, but there it's like a small chain restaurant, and uh-huh. there's one left. So <gasps> nice. Yeah, this is back in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, what's the restaurant? It's called Sign of the Beef Carver. Sign of the Beef Carver. It's, yeah, it's like a buffet that a lot of old people go to, <laughs> and they have like a beef carving station and like a pickle and horseradish station. Yes, that sounds. Yeah, oh, I can see why it was your fave. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite restaurants was Ryan's Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just a 
It was just a crappy buffet chain from in the south that we would go to, like... Um, steak at a buffet? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was... I'm sure you could order steaks off the menu, mm-hmm. you know, and not get the buffet, but I would always go there for, you know, soccer banquets and stuff like that. <laughs> it was the rolls. It was always the rolls. They were delicious. <laughs> but it's... I think Ryan's is going pretty strong. Oh, Where is the last remaining sign of the... Sign of the beef carver. Beef carver. <laughs> it's in Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, right. Shout out Royal Oakians. Keep that bad boy open. Yeah, please. <laughs> I'm going home next weekend, and I'm, I gotta support them because <laughs> my favorite spot in Dearborn is gone. You gotta pour one out for the Dearborn location. I know. And uh, what's your favorite thing like that they do? Um, I love. Okay, so I love the beef, sure. beef carving station, mashed potatoes, gravy, garlic garlic bread like texas toast yes a ton of pickles yes that sounds awesome well my guest today is Alyssa samari and we're going to be talking about her interest in and passion for uh colonialism that makes it sound like you're like vastly in support (laughs) (laughs) i love to colonize (laughs) (laughs) i know i was like i gotta i have to hedge this somehow (laughs) big colonialism fan yeah yeah yeah. Alyssa samari (laughs) i want an empire that's all i want uh what would you say is the origin of your interest in this topic so the first thing I could remember was I was a super rebellious kid. I hated authority and like any moment I could, I would just, um, uh, you know, like run away from preschool or disobey somebody, mostly running away. It was like a lot of running away, <laughs> telling so funny. <laughs> telling I, old people I hated them. Oh my God. You're yeah. like textbook rebel kid. Yeah, for sure. Just such a terrible little kid. Uh-huh. But I, in kindergarten, they had us do this um, for Columbus Day. They had us change our names, do like a Native American name sort of a thing. Okay. And it was, in my kindergarten mind, it was messed up. Not for the reasons that like, as an adult, I know it's messed up. Right. But for me, I was like, oh my God, they're making me change my name. My name is Alyssa. They can't take my name away from me. Wow. Yeah, it was like a very strong independent sense of self yeah. thing. Yeah. And so it was like this long back and forth with the teacher. And eventually I was like, fine, I'll be called Francesca, which is my middle name. I was like, ah, uh, I tricked her. I did my middle name. I'm still my name. <laughs> you cannot take my name. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. It's so wild. It was like two years after Pocahontas came out. So peop- So you were like a little woke? <laughs> I think I was like maybe tiny woke. That's so funny. Tiny baby woke. But it was like, it was one of those things where I had always associated, like, I had associated authority with not necessarily a good thing, but something that would, like, oppress. Okay. And so I think later on when I, like, went to college or learned, or even in high school when I learned more about, like, the dark parts of American history and kind of what we do abroad or what we do in the United States, that I was like, oh, yeah, of course authority would do that. Man. Yeah. And so I was drawn to that kind of anything with revolutions I love. Yeah. So your rebellious streak translated into just appreciating any time people had been wrong yeah. and, and stood up for themselves. For sure, the underdog. That's amazing. That's, That's such a fascinating thing to have latched onto 
early on. Yeah. Because I feel like when I was going through school, I was like, I don't learn about animals and like how stuff <laughs> blows up. <laughs> I love that though. How stuff blows up. Did you ever learn? Uh, I mean, yeah, I went yeah, to yeah. college for chemistry. So like pretty much, I mean, that's, that's basically the... If you tracked my, you know, the things I was into as a young person and how they translated into what I went to school for, that's probably the easiest (laughs) one-to-one is that when I learned that chemistry was just the, you know, molecular, like, studies and things like that, including all of the above, combustion and everything, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to be into this. Organized chaos. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So a little, a different side of that coin, I guess. I was into learning how things worked on a scientific level, and you were into learning how things worked on a, like, societal level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love Uh, So when you went to college, how did that translate into what you studied? So I found myself attracted to any sort of class that had to do with post-colonial studies or um, I think I did a couple of – like I did a revolutions course and um, majored in Middle Eastern studies where my focus was um, early Islamic imperialism, so like the early caliphates. And then for um, my other major, I had political theory and it was like neo-Marxism, a lot of post-colonial – postmodern type stuff and a lot of it like looks at it looks at like the effects of colonialism and just kind of what we're left with in modern in our current society or whatever (laughs) sure uh do you feel like when you were going through that and studying it um pretty intensively they found yourself applying it to like current uh situations um as much as it was like sounds like mostly historical explorations yeah I think, um, I don't know, history just explains pretty much why everything is the way it is today. So anything that was going on, I was like, oh, yeah, it's because this effect and like or just like the way that you look at um, how people interact or the way that we look at art or the way that we look at advertising or um, that's really interesting. Consumers so kind of applying a lot of that stuff into um sociology i guess uh in the study of you know human nature along with the history and everything of it yeah mostly just a why i feel like i mean that's what history is it's just like the why but um it also like the way that you analyze colonialism or imperialism is very helpful in the way that you might like view art or view um politics just to analyze it through a different lens so how would uh maybe starting from a specific um you brought up islamic imperialism yeah um maybe start it how would you begin to kind of unpack the effect that that has (laughs) does that make sense yeah it's like on an academic level how could you dig into like a specific aspect of all this hmm this is this is tough because I feel like um, Islamic imperialism was it was just basically the spread of Islam in like the 600s on. So if you're like, why why is Saudi Arabia the you know why is Mecca Medina religiously significant and why do so many people believe in Islam around the the world? And it's partially because of the beginnings of. Islamic imperialism where there is this, you know, essentially like the caliphates, this kingdom, they would travel throughout um, 
different areas and it spread spread the word and then you know the migration of people would eventually spread and spread and spread so the like breath of islam is wide and it like continues to grow and that sort of thing so that's partially part of it without me sounding like a psycho that's like islam is everywhere right, like i'm not sure that's a, i know I it's mean, hard and i i I was realizing yeah. <laughs> as I was like, well, why didn't I focus on that, that no. aspect of it when it could have been any, you know, obviously English colonialism is yeah. uh, just as damning in a bunch of different other ways. But I totally see where you're coming from, this, especially in the current political climate. It's just like Islam is the, you know, yeah. like you're just used to hearing it coming out of someone's mouth who's trying to, you know, but who's pe- further radicalizing everything. Yeah, but people aren't used to the idea that it's been around for so long and they're not used to, um, you know, you look at like the religious diversity in like Lebanon or somewhere like that. And there's a lot more than just Islam there, but it like spread up into Lebanon because of the early caliphates. Man, I, it is really stunning to to consider, like you said, that those, that was happening in 600 and it's still, I mean, so many things look at like the you know monarchy like and how things via the monarchy are still affecting you know every like american government and religion and things like that and that's a super good point that there's all these things that seem so you know distant and disconnected but have everything to do with uh current culture yeah and the things that we just don't talk about like as far as history goes, like world history, we never in the United States, I feel like growing up, I never had a focus on, you know, the Middle East or or Africa or Asia or any, you know, diversity I, of political climate in any of those yeah, places. Or, I, I completely agree. I mean, I don't even think I had to take a world history class to grab maybe one like high school world history class. And then I didn't have to really take anything like that in college because we just got to kind of choose, you know, whatever electives we wanted outside of our major. I had two separate grades where the, you know, social studies, quote unquote, uh, curriculum was for South Carolina history. In third grade and eighth grade, we focused on just the state's history. And like you said, Nothing like eighth grade. Maybe we could have dipped into the world history, like yeah. like maybe a little bit. But. Yeah. <laughs> like I know all the forty six counties, but I have Wait, like whoa. oh yeah. It's, <laughs> I've used it as like a this is a fun dumb fact about me. <laughs> Do they have like a song for it? Or? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I need to know. Yeah, in college, I only had to take, like, a geology class and a renewable energy class, so I didn't have to take science. Right, yeah, it's the same side. (laughs) Yes, it really is, you know, it's whatever you focus on. You just don't get that much of a rounded Uh uh, education in the other stuff. And I think part of that just comes from um, we should probably have better, like, public school education yeah. before we get to the <laughs> collegiate level where we get to choose what we want to learn about. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Agreed. So, uh, but you said that, you know, your kind of uh, acknowledgement of some 
uh, wrongs, I guess, where colonialism are concerned, started when you were in like kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, how do you think that kind of translated through all those years and into like, do you feel like there were times that you sought out information on your own and then when you got to college, it was like, oh man, this is all completely, you know, new territory, I guess. Yeah. I like I sought out a lot of the information like throughout elementary school. I was an indoor kid and I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> uh, so and I loved I loved reading. So I would I read all these books on like Mary Queen of Scots. I'm half Scottish and I went to I like did Scottish Highland Dance, right? Yes. And so a lot of the this is sort of a tangent, but a lot of the dances have to do with the history of Scotland and then, you know, are paired with like history about war or or like a certain group of people or something like that. And there was this one that was like my favorite dance and one of my favorite stories. And it's called The Sean Trues. And so it's about the Scottish people. I think it was like in the 1400s. I might be totally wrong on the date. But um, when the Scottish were invaded by the British, there was this ban against um, kilts as like – as like a form of like tearing down Just their like nationalism. A big fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so sure. Sean Trues means I think it's uh without pants or shaking off pants. Oh wow. And so the physical motion of it is like you you take one of your feet and you brush your other leg with it. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it's like these these like I was like so intrigued by this like rebellious dance. Of about, course. Like like I hate colonialism. Like this was an invasion. Yeah. Um. And then yeah. So like I would research like Mary Queen of Scots or just like, um, different different countries uh, having revolutions or you know the like the American Revolution and um, just reading up on all that. I was shocked, somewhat shocked in college to learn about the things that Americans did abroad, mm. but. A lot of the like British colonialism, Dutch colonialism, I was familiar with by that point. That that tracks. That makes sense because yeah. I feel like those would be the kind of things that we would learn about in schools or pursue, especially even when you consider historical film and historical fiction. I feel like there's a lot of uh, onus put on you know the American colonization and. Uh, yeah, like British colonialism in India and things like that. But you don't – no one wants to yeah. turn the, you know, tables and talk about what we've done in other countries. For sure. And it's also a part of, like, our American nationalism, like our origin stories is getting rid of the British in the United States. Sure, right. So we have to, like, keep up this mythology. And then – so if you tear down anything, you know, early on, like in high school or you – I mean, you talk about, like – us going into the Philippines or into Hawaii or anything like that. It's like that defeats the purpose of our nationalism and national pride. So yeah, of course they're not going to talk about it or else they're going to have a bunch of, they're going to have a bunch of like little tiny high schoolers. There's like so many, they would get so mad. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I, no, I agree. I, I think that. I said tiny high schoolers. Tiny, I feel really bad. I'm just tiny. baby high schoolers. Yeah. Um, no, but I think we're seeing that, that in more of an informed age and yeah. uh, more, you know, access to information is causing. So true. Like younger people to go like, wait a minute, this is really fucked up, you know, in a way that I don't think our generation did. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so legitimate. And they they have this. Yeah, they have the access to information. They have these opinions that they've they're fully formed and they're, yes. you know, 
standing up, which is absolutely right, and they have that right, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And it makes you question, man, have we been being like controlled this specifically in terms of what information we've been given? Oh, my God. Is education controlling us? I think so. (laughs) I think so, too, man. Uh, There's really something to it, Uh, especially, like I said, two years, two out of 12 years. I took fucking South Carolina history. Uh, It still makes me mad. It's Um, so interesting. Like what? I'm very interested. A lot of Michigan history, because I had Michigan history, right? A lot of it was about British and French colonialism and mm-hmm. then about a little bit about Native American history and their government systems outside of, like, before Michigan was formed as a state. But, like, what was South Carolina's about? I mean, there was a lot of schooling about, you know, the it being one of the colonies. There was a lot of schooling about it being a, a big focal point in the Civil War. Uh, you know, it. but looking back on it, I am kind of, like, it is kind of stunning to me to think about, like, we went to at least one, if not multiple, plantations as, like, school trips. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, like, from my perspective, I was just like, oh, fucking taking a school trip. Get to <laughs> not be at school. And I just never fully, like, put myself into the empathetic, you know, nightmare that that might have been for other people who went. Like, yeah. it was just like, our, like, because it was never handled with the proper amount of... Uh, you know, gravity or uh, everything was presented as like, and this is what the slaves would do or maybe even like the indentured servants would do and like people would be in costume and stuff like that and it would never be, to my recollection anyway, handled in a way that was like, this was really horrific and because, you know, the people who run that place, that's not what they're in it for. Like, that's... They they just run a fancy plantation that kids come and see now. You know, it's so crazy. I went to I went to a plantation in Louisiana maybe like two years ago, and they actually said on the tour that the slave quarters like they were good slave owners, and that the slave quarters had AC and running water or something like that. And I was like, where are the slave quarters? Where they took down like the slave quarters, all this stuff. And I was like, and now they get to say whatever they want about it. Yeah, they had AC (laughs) in the 1800s. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, but that's that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's like it's another thing where they're just like controlling the conversation that's surrounding it. And it took me a long time. It it took me, I would say, too long (laughs) to look back on those experiences and be like man what are we teaching people like what are we continuing to put into the the minds of babes yeah absolutely until until you know you don't know (laughs) (laughs) i actually had a similar uh experience as you did with that uh scottish dance yeah um I got cast in an Irish play in college called uh-huh. Translations by Brian Friel. And it was about uh, British soldiers coming in and specifically implementing English uh, into like signage uh-huh. and basically just trying to erase uh, the Irish language or Gaelic um, from signage and from use. And uh, the whole play, everyone is speaking English but certain characters are actually speaking Gaelic 
So like there's there's a language barrier between characters, but the audience can understand everything that's going on, if uh-huh. that makes sense. And it's it was a really cool I definitely think it was one of the first times I went like kinda like what you were talking about, uh with the dance in terms of like, oh, this is art that's reflecting something that a huge, you know, that a nation went through that's trying to communicate what that was like and get across it. Like they were creating a language barrier where one didn't exist, like for the sake of just coming in and being like, well, this is ours and you all have to speak English now. (laughs) And I was just like, man, but why? Yeah. That's so, there's so much to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really great show. Uh, And I've seen other things kind of do that since where, uh, I mean, I think it's like Hunt for Red October that does that. At the very beginning, they're speaking Russian and and they have subtitles. And then at some point, they like go, they like zoom in on a person in a way that makes it so that after that, they're all speaking English, but you understand that they're actually speaking Russian. I oh. think that's I think that's what it is. When I saw it, I was like, cool. I'm the nerd who was like, ah, yes, just like Brian Friel's translation. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I, I only have seen, I've seen Red October, I think, and I only remember one part of it where Sean Connery is in the submarine and he looks very panicked. And that's all I remember. <laughs> yeah, he was probably, I think. But that sounds so much and, more beautiful. And he probably had a Scottish accent speaking yeah. English that was supposed to be Russian. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. God, colonialism. I read a lot of, like, nonfiction books about empire. Like, books literally called empire. Really? Yeah. <laughs> just in your in your spares? In my spare time, just going for it. That's amazing. Really thick. Uh. I it, it honestly, like, uh, I'm pumped that that's something that yeah. you still find yourself like drawn to and wanting to be informed on even though it encompassed a lot of both your double majors and in college there's this one that i just started reading recently that was called sprawl which isn't technically colonialism but it's about the spread of um like urban sprawl and then also like suburban sprawl and that sort of thing it takes like a lot of american cities in it as an example but just um like little pictures of aerial views of cities and kind of like how do we expand how do we as like humans migrate and move that yeah. sounds really it's interesting cool. and i mean it's not i don't think it's outside of the realm of talking about that because there yeah. is something to the ex- there's something to the you know expanding of civilization like you said that is typically uh, I mean, you know, I could be speaking out of my ass. It's, it's yeah. typically one of the things that kind of brings about <laughs> colonialism in the first place. Maybe that's something that you can speak to better than I can. What would be the inciting incidents of, you know, in history of those, like, uh, crusades, I guess? Yeah, it's like the, um, I think from the, like, colonizer or imperialist point of view, Like, so if we're taking like colonialism as I'm going to a place to be there temporarily or to um, be there for a longer bit of time, but to get resources for my like home nation. So there's like colonialism. And then there's also like imperialism as in like I am stretching my my breadth of power and I'm stretching like my nation and my um, my community. The difference being that. Uh, colonialism still puts a premium on the 
the initial settlement or whatever you yeah. want to call it, the initial nation and imperialism is just literally Let's get all encompassing. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I ever would have, you know, differentiated those things. I think some people like view it differently, but, and you no, can like makes... kind of use them interchangeably. Sure. But, but like, um, I think, I think that like the impetus for all of that, for the nations, like the original, like hegemonic power or whatever you want to call it, like, those people will say it's because they need to have their nation's growth or they need more wealth or they need more resources to support their people. Right. And all those things seem like well and good, especially in the way that they might phrase it. Right. But at the cost of what? <laughs> Is removing other people forcibly. <laughs> yeah. And like taking away their resources for them and yeah, changing up a whole culture, whatnot. But it's all done in the name of nationalism. Yeah. Uh, other people's nationalism be damned. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, to me, it seems like, especially historically, and I think we're still kind of experiencing this, that a lot of countries and groups of people that do colonize and do become imperialist uh, kind of nations do so because they have certain advancements in mm-hmm. technology or specifically like weaponry. Yeah. Uh, was there anything or have you kind of encountered anything in studying it that can speak to that more specifically than I can in just like these broad yeah. strokes? I'm, I'm trying to think about that because there's, I think part of it is like nations being like, oh yeah, we have guns. We have, let's say the biggest naval force in, in this one area. For instance. Yeah. Sorry I keep talking about England. God. <laughs> I like really <laughs> don't know if I actually uh, you know if if that's necessarily the case. But like but like the largest naval force, like if we have these technologies, why not go out and and use them? Or like um, Spain, we have the navigational skills. Why don't we why don't we go to get more gold? Because we need like we we know it's out there. We know it's out there. We have to go get it. We love gold. Let's go do it. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's like partially an ego thing of like we have to show that we are the greatest because we have something that's really good or something that's very um, like high tech or advanced. Yeah. And or, even, I mean, to me, it seems like one of the big things that set apart like Britain. British colonialism coming into uh, what became the United States was just like, oh, we brought, you know, sickness and guns. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's like, thank you so much for your high tech illness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just seems like one of the things that, you know, helped them get the job done, I suppose. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. I guess so. There. Oh, I hate that I'm laughing at that, but it's yeah. just so funny. Like, sick, yeah, we have sickness and guns. Um, yeah, I think sometimes too, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always bring the the worst. It does bring more stuff, but I think <laughs> sometimes colonialism and imperialism can sometimes also bring um, new technologies like this is kind of a weird thing like a weird specific thing but the american military in the southern united states at one point they had a whole um i don't know what do you call it not a battalion like i don't know what the proper term would be but they would 
they had this whole section of the military that was on camels because there were like there were people from the American government that had traveled to the Middle East and they were like, oh, camels can hold like a lot of water. Let's like use that instead of having a horse that division or whatever is in the wild. desert. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also so, <laughs> it's just so absurd. It's just like another level of like, well, let's bring these animals that'll be super useful with yeah. us. <laughs> like, let's just take, take them this. out of where they're supposed to live and put them somewhere where they have no business being. <laughs> exactly. It's just another form of colonialism flexing its muscles and just being really messed up. Where it's like, oh, yeah, it seems like a very smart thing to do, but it's also like, yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> yeah. What inspired you to be a Middle Eastern studies major? Well, where I'm from in southeastern Michigan has one of the highest concentrations of Arabs outside the Middle East. So there was there was that growing up with, like, some knowledge of, like, Middle Eastern history and, like, a, a lot of people in southeastern Michigan, Dearborn specifically, Dearborn, Michigan, they are Lebanese. And, like, a lot of them came as refugees during, like, the 70s. There were different waves of immigration. And so certain knowledge about that, certain um, certain things like during 9-11, seeing that people um, were being misrepresented in the media, that was part of it. And then I did this in high school. I did this really beautiful thing called Women to Women. <gasps> And I think I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. So it was like we, a bunch of women from America and the Middle East and a few other nations as well, we got together in Boston and then in Amman, Jordan and like met up and talked about like women's rights and, wow. and our home countries and like pretty much we talked about everything. Like I'm still, um, still keep in touch with some people now. That's and awesome. It. Yeah. And I actually went to college. So a few women from, um, from the Middle East, ended up going to women's colleges, which I went to one, and um, ended up going to school with a couple people that did women to women with me. Cool. Yeah, I was in like this play with one of the girls from Jordan. That, That's amazing. Yeah, it was so nice. That is so like, so like warm and inspiring. That something like the response to nine eleven, combined with kind of your ability to see people as they were and like this diverse community led to an interest in this and a, and a desire to study it. Like how, man, that's awesome. I, I feel like it did like almost the, maybe not the opposite <laughs> for me, but like yeah. being in, you know, small town South, I like, n I was like, you know, George W. Bush gave a good speech after <laughs> that 9-11 attack, you know, but yeah. I was in like eighth grade and I just didn't, uh, I wish I had had that response to it as a young person. It's, That's really inspiring. It's so crazy that the, um, like being exposed to people, like diverse groups of people yes. and like being exposed to people on a very human, like connection that that like that that can also breed um like community and yeah. like realizing that like sometimes the media is wrong or like you know it's so yeah. it's just like they don't um they don't make an attempt to try and um oh my god i sound like someone that's like fake news blah, blah, blah. Uh, but like, <laughs> again the rising yeah. tide of islam <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy though that like you know exposure to people makes people better and i think like there's 
better ways to do it than what the media has done in the past or um, the different things that they perpetuate. Yeah. And there's so obviously there's such an inherent nationalism in tragedy. You know, when something happens that feels like an attack on your country because of the way that our country is, you know, uh, sold to people, I guess, uh, for lack of a less callous way to say that. That's what the response is. I mean, and I think that's true for any, like, for a city, for a country. Like, it's just easy for us to ascribe uh, tribalism to that yeah. and it's such a testament to like you said your tribe being more diverse and and I guess that's an interesting thing for me to think about like colonial colonialism and imperialism and things like that are a lot easier when you don't understand what the other person's life is like yeah and you think you're legitimately trying to improve it or take what's rightfully yours because they don't deserve it or whatever it is. Yeah. I also think, I also think like America is such, um, an individualistic country. Like we, um, we have our individual rights and all that, you know, declaration of independence and um, I hope I'm not (laughs) totally butchering it, but we we're such a country of individuals that values being an independent person and that sort of thing. But I think that also translates to if there's an attack on your nationhood or your, um, your national pride, that that's against you as a person. Right. And then also that extends itself as like, I, I'm, it's also that I'm the most important sort of a thing, sort right. of a mentality. So I think like it's easier for us to disregard like what the nation has done in the past or like um, it's easier to be like, oh yeah, we have to go into this other country and invade them because, because we are the most important. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, I have even had these moments of kind of like realization or even like reframing things in a way that I didn't feel like my, you know, education was able to frame it. And I and I haven't sought enough information about it. But to think that we as a country and other countries in the past have, um, I'm sure, been guilty of this, have gone in, created disruption in a country, and then to refuse those that country's people asylum after that mm-hmm. is the most selfish, absurd... Uh, way to operate like politically yeah. like geopolitically and that that's become this thing that's like on my mind all the time right now for some, for some unknown reason oh weird yeah. <laughs> yeah the borders that we created during our imperialism what whoa so weird crazy. yeah and like maybe we're taking advantage of other countries uh, for our own gain and then after we've done that we're not willing to make up for it? Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> Weird. God. I like, um, I was looking at the other topics that people from your podcast have yeah. done. And just now I was thinking, wow, like people have talked about like Gilmore Girls and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I love Gilmore Girls, but I chose this topic to talk about. <laughs> I chose colonialism. <laughs> and oh God, <laughs> the dark stuff. This is. I like it. Great. It's obviously something that has kind of been an undercurrent 
in, in your little rebellious, you know, mind yeah. for all this time. Okay. Uh, have you done anything else kind of like women to women where that is uh, kind of an acknowledgement of other groups of people kind of trying to overcome what this uh, looks like? I really wish I s- could say that I do. I think, I think in some way doing like, improv and doing you know creative things as, and and finding a community through that is a way to you're not only like you're not only exchanging like laughs or whatever uh. you're also exchanging like perspectives and and like the beauty of like tr- people trying i mean to have a diverse group of people where you actually it's not just diverse and who what they look like but diverse in perspectives is like something that can also be really beautiful in that aspect but i yeah. think that's a a good way to speak to it no yeah. i think because i relate to that really strongly i mean like i i keep you know beating this drum but i i did come from uh you know a community where i didn't understand all of the repercussions of all the stuff i'm still you know learning new, you know, things I probably should have learned about in school uh, every day. And I absolutely think that this community is a big part of that, of people coming from different backgrounds and kind of being able to uh, be like this weird meeting of the minds. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And that being said, I do wish that I did more that would be, um, that would like speak to that part of me that I did like women to women for or uh-huh. uh, got more involved outside of that. But I'm tired. I'm like <laughs> making an excuse for myself. I know. Yeah. I know. I feel like, I feel like it's at the point where uh, we're all either making excuses or, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think there is a, an inherent amount of like guilt in uh, being knowledgeable on things like this and feeling like you're not doing anything. About yeah. It. You're not doing enough. You're not yeah. doing. Yeah. You're taking too many naps. <laughs> uh, yeah. What was your favorite class where all this stuff was concerned while you were in college? Oh, or did there you were, have like a favorite teacher or anything like that? I think I have two or three. Okay, so I think I have two that I can narrow it down to. One was post-colonial literature, and that was really neat because I – don't think I had taken an English course in college except for or including that one. I think there might have been that. I think it was that one. Sure. And a lot of it we did. We did any sort of post-colonial literature from around the world, but we particularly did subaltern um, studies, which was like subaltern studies collective, which was um, like uh, previously colonized Um, people who would write in a a more narrative way and there were all these um, things that we read like can the subaltern speak can they um, can they are they able to speak to their own experiences in a way that like will be respected will it be something that is beyond the colonizer can they oh I see yeah so it was it that was really interesting to me and a lot of it was like um like mostly based in like Southeastern Asia. So a lot of that was like Southeastern Asian literature. And then we did things like we, okay. So I talked to you about, um, imperialism and soap. Yeah. Um, and I had talked about soap or like had talked about soap in, I think two different classes. Wow. In two different contexts. So I had this, 
I did one reading that was like soft soaping empire. It was from this imperial leather or something like that, or like I think imperial leather. But it was from this text, Soft Soaping Empire, and it was about how um, imperialism was enacted through, like, soap advertisements and, um, like, the white man being the um, being the most powerful or something that cleanliness would give you. Wow. Yeah, like, they, it would give you whiteness or that, like, you could – if you became clean, you would become respected or or that um, that the colonized were dirty or that, you know, that they were um, to be washed with soap. Wow. Yeah. And then the other text was like it was called the the New Egyptian Woman. And it was about like basically how um, post um, Ottoman Empire, how women would how like womanhood was um was sort of like molded in some way because, you know, after an empire has left, how do you create your identity and your nationality and 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 through the lens of womanhood? And so they would talk about like soap companies coming in and advertising specifically to this this new idea of an Egyptian woman. Huh. Yeah. Man, that is so it's so specifically it's um, so many things like tied into one kind tied? of idea. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. yikes! I hated it. I'm so sorry. No, I loved it. That's oh. it. <laughs> I only get the greatest moans from the <laughs> the best uh, uh, acknowledgments of accidental wordplay. Uh, <laughs> I would say that there's um. I guess, you know, it, it, physical cleanliness and appearance and yeah. things like that are so, you know, emotionally wrapped up in human nature. At least, you know, I would say that's where most societies are concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and obviously those the things that are uh, cherished or, 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 or valued yeah. slightly differ, but the idea that that was the way that it was sold that early on in society is yeah. wild. And then you have like, it was like less than a year ago, fucking Dove Soap had this astronomically uh, like in poor taste ad where that was concerned. They are run by Unilever, as I think it's how it's pronounced, but they are run by this company that... I know that, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and they used to have this this phrase. I think it was like, soap is civilization. I might be totally wrong, but I think it was like, wow. soap is civilization is the company that owns Dove. Wow. So they're just not... They just haven't gotten it. <laughs> enough from that yet, basically. I guess not. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot left over in, like, the way that we view domesticity or hygiene or, or um, yeah. And, and, like, it's, like, crux with, like, race and uh, classism and capitalism. All, capitalism. Like, not a lot has changed since they – I mean, like, you know, a lot has changed, but not a lot has changed in, I think, the mindset. And, man. Yeah. Especially when you consider how, how not tied. Yeah, right. And how how all that stuff's like I was saying, you know, wrapped up in a person's self worth, but also how close we are to things just being like, 
Well, obviously we're not too far. Uh, we're we're in things being blatantly racist, but yeah. but I mean like literally like uh, governmentally openly sanctioned uh, yeah. racism and segregation and things like that. We're just not that far removed from it, and there's still obviously a lot of policies in place that are yeah uh, making it possible, probably more uh, more insidiously, I guess. Yeah, is uh, because it's all these things that people you know, don't even realize as much are happening or, you know, being dog whistled and things like that. Exactly. When things are done in like a, um, on a very micro, I mean, in a way, like a micro or like physically small whimsical way, like cartoons or, or if it's done in a cutesy way, people don't think about all those, those implications. Or yeah, yeah. Or if it's shrouded in some other, that we're doing this for the betterment of, this not because we you know yeah it's be just because we want everyone to be clean yeah exactly <laughs> but it but it's like what what's behind all that guys right yeah oh why so do wild. you why do you think those were the things that you found yourself the most interested in as you're going through school what was it about those classes that it was about a couple different things so i think it was partially because um I was I was going to a historically women's college sure. I, I, as a woman that was, you know, looking at things from like finding out things about domesticity or or how how women were viewed and and like the home being this uh, cornerstone of of culture and like what what was expected of us in the past and what's still expected. I think that like didn't looking at the expectations so I could deny them or, um, you know, figure out how, um, if, if there's ever an outside of that. Sure. And I think things like, like soap or, um, yeah, soap or cleaning products or, or, um, or nannies or something like that, like looking at those sort of, um, domestic things was, it felt very, um, like personal to me Yeah. as, as like a woman being like, oh, this is a thing that is shrouded in, in expectations in the way that I'm expected to use them and then that society expects me to be. It was like this multi-layer of like this is how power permeates itself um, from like the expectation to the person to even what the person is using. So that felt like a personal thing as far as like being a a cis woman that I, you know, like um, that sort of thing. But then also there's like like wow who who would have thought about that stuff soap what is that all about or like chewing gum wrappers you can look at colonialism through chewing gum wrappers from like the 1900s that's a whole thing or like whimsical objects so there were um there were like these little cartoons that were like bazooka joe comics exactly so there were there were other types of gum that would have like cartoons in them um around the time that we were like colonizing the philippines and like would have these little images of like um depicting like Filipino men as as like these small childlike characters that were like feminized and then you're like, oh these children are reading these things. But it's like this cartoon and we're like we like cartoons and we like like gum. That is wild. I mean so it's so personal. Or like yeah, like Jim Crow era, like little objects, sure, and that right, sort of yeah. thing that are supposed dolls to be cutesy and, dolls yeah. and stuff. Even though dolls are creepy. But. <laughs> yeah. Sure, man, goodness, I never. That is such a. That makes perfect sense. That that's what 
the way that you would find more interesting to kind of come into this conversation as opposed to, I would say, kind of like the more masculine side of it is like, yes, send them in to the new place with the weapons and force them to get everyone else in line. You yeah. know what I mean? But also looking at the women's agency in that or their or their specific role, even if they are being a oppressed in a certain way, looking at the ways that they were complacent or the ways that they were catalysts for um, colonialism or or oppression. Or the way that 53% of white women voted for Trump. Exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So is that... I, 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 you know, kind of joke, but is that kind of where you're coming from is like the idea that uh, uh, the women were just kind of like, oh, well. uh." Yeah, well, I think it's like, oh, well, but I think there's like an active role. So like even in even in a time that we think of as like like the early 1900s or something like that, looking at women as like like pre-suffrage movement in the U.S. or like looking at that as like, oh, they were they were so oppressed like they couldn't do anything outside their home that might be in a way true but also like especially white women like what what did what did they do to also oppress you know other races or other classes right. and things like that that right. you know there's th- that there's um even if your agency is able to move like an inch as opposed to a foot you know what 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 did you do within that inch sort of a thing? Yeah. Which is also the question of 53% of white women voting for Trump, <laughs> that sort of thing, you know? Like, what are you, what are you able to do within your space? Or, like, the, like, an example of, like, women that made, so, like, women could only be, like, teachers or secretaries sure. in the 50s sort of a thing, like, just yeah. as a general thing. And, and that's the 50s. That's the 50s. The 50s. Yeah. It's just not that long ago. Yeah. But what then do they do as like teachers or or that sort of thing? Like there are there were all these stories from when I from my college as these women were like they were professors or whatever, or there were women that had graduated from my school and they had other careers and things like that. But the women that would like there were all these women that like started a whole other women's college in Turkey and like it essentially failed, but they were like these missionaries that but went. They tried. <laughs> they tried. And then they were missionaries and they were like, let me try and change these people's minds. Wow. And that sort of thing. It's like, what? You were, you got out and yeah. you like did this thing. You like got, became a teacher and you like tried to start a whole school, but what'd you do with it? You like started a like missionary that, you know. Was probably not what the people of <laughs> this area of Turkey wanted. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe. I mean, I only read a couple letters of theirs. <laughs> sure, but. but that's a that's a really interesting thought too. It's just like, man, you had this, you had the deck, and you still played a weird game with yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think that goes back to. Uh, and it may be naive to think that, but I do think it goes back to uh, what your surroundings are yeah. and what you're taught to think is uh, normal or better or worse or, uh, you know, exactly. what, what's instilled in you as a priority. It is so easy to look back at history and be like, wow, they were so dumb with what they did. Right. And then now, I mean, it's like hard. It's, it is always hard to get out of it and be like, oh, this is a radical thing to do. This is something that I'm doing that's like unique or helpful in any way or actually legitimately helpful instead of you just thinking it's helpful you know so it's always a oh it's tricky 
Do you have any specific historical figures who you find yourself coming back to their stories? Do you have any specific uh, civilizations that you find yourself being drawn back to, you know, what they went through where post-colonialism was concerned? Anything like that that you would feel remiss to not speak to that we haven't talked about specifically? Oh, wow. I guess. So I'm really interested in Edward Said, who is um, a comparative. He eventually was the a comparative literature professor at, I think, Columbia. Maybe was his last, you know, professorial role in, of his life. But um, he coined the term Orientalism to describe the way that we view everywhere from Morocco to – or that the, the West and that America views everywhere from pr- basically Morocco to, like, China, Japan as this, like, monolithic culture. And – and there was even a, a time period that had Orientalist um, art. So I think it was like France in like the eight, 17, 1800s or something where they were like, oh, yeah, of course these are all one nation. Like that's all basically okay. And it was like this wow. bizarro mix of all these different identities. And um, that like couldn't have encompassed more varieties of religion and culture and society. It's so true. And, you know, I mean, not that, you know, Pan-Arabism is, is the same as Orientalism or anything like that. But I also find that I find um, pan movements uh, as opposed to like individual recognition of culture is very interesting because sometimes it is like, oh, we do have all these things in common and we should support each other and be this um, larger group. But then sometimes if people are putting that label on you as you are all the same, that's a very interesting um, place to place start to a conversation from. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So I like Edward Said. I like started reading his um, this like notes book. This notes book, uh, basically just a bunch of his essays or speeches, and I haven't I haven't finished it or really gotten more than a quarter way through. But I really um, do like him and love comparative literature and that sort of thing. That seems like a good way to consume it is to kind of like uh, start from a broad scope mm-hmm. and uh, focus on specific entries or notes or yeah. anything like that. And then also the 1910s, just as like a time period, there was so much going on in art, like Dadaism, I think was 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 cranking up around then, and you got like um, all sorts of interesting periods of art performance, that sort of thing. You also get World War One, you get uh, all sorts of colonialism, different um, forming of nations, independence of nations, then non-independence of nations from there, you know, like, oh, we just got free and then now we're belonging to another nation. Um, Man. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things, like, with colonialism and without, like, just in general in the 1910s. And they had such cool clothes. Very interesting (laughs) clothes. (laughs) It's so cool that um, this is really, seems like an all-encompassing, like, interest. Yeah. In terms of like <laughs> the history and the politics, but also, you know, what was going on on the ground, yeah. <laughs> like soap ads and uh, fashions and art and things like that it really seems like I could see all of that running through uh, your interest in it. Um, how do you think that your interest in and knowledge of uh, colonialism and this study of this through the years has influenced you 
as a creative person and it just kind of in your life experience in general? Um, I think understanding that nothing happens out like in a vacuum that everything has, um, everything has a consequence or everything can impact everything else. I think that's really affected the way that I might do my art or like, you know, understand where people are coming from or that sort of thing. I think that's important. But I think also like, hmm, in the analysis of, of, of colonialism, like looking at it through commodity fetishism, like looking at it through soap or objects or things like that, understanding that we put a value into it, an object, um, or or we we value the production that goes into that object. That to me, I think, in in like it's Marxist thing of like commodity commodity fetishism and and like us being like, oh, here's. Here's this like cord, like this cord was manufactured by a person. I can appreciate it. That's definitely been how I appreciate art or like how I, um, when I watch people doing like improv or for, this is so annoying. No, I love it. Uh, no, this is, you're supposed to be able to do this now. I'm giving okay, you permission. Okay, thank you. It, I know Nerd it sounds now. like so <laughs> dumb and crunchy, but yeah. I'm, I'm eating up everything. It makes yeah. perfect sense. That's a yeah. one-to-one to me to think about like, you know, the person on a, on an individual level and all of these like yeah. rebellious, tiny rebellions is very, you know, artistic. Yeah. But when you like look at something, you're seeing the work behind it. So if I'm watching an improv show, I'm seeing I'm not only just analyzing it from like I am looking at this this performance as a whole, but I'm also like this is all the work that has led up to that point of them being able to do this thing. And then also you get to a certain point where you're like, oh, I can see the moves that they're doing or I can appreciate um, that that this this has become this reaction from – from something that has happened in the past. Or oh man, or, no, that makes so or, much sense. That's yeah. that's way back to you know the conversation about like the rise of Islam starting in six hundred. Yeah, and being able to track how that whole thread goes. The trajectory is beautiful. That and, makes perfect sense. And it's like doing something and watching something like doing improv and watching it. I know watching it makes you feel like you're doing it better or, or whatnot. But you also sure. are like appreciating that, like how much work people are putting into their art. Sure. Um, and I think that's, that's something important um, through like, you know, you're looking at it, not just from the, the object, but you're looking at it from its past and its history and that sort of thing. And it, the implications. I love that. Yeah. So there's definitely a universal appreciation of, um, things origins <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> and turning them on their heads and doing them all sorts of crazy ways yeah how yeah. do you think your uh, that kind of rebellious nature that started all of this uh, manifests itself now I have no one to rebel against anymore <laughs> <laughs> I have like they give you so much freedom in like improv and comedy it's like I can't shock anyone at this point interesting like, I can't no one has an expectation of me, so I can't be like. Interesting. Uh, like fuck you. I can't be right. like fuck you. I'm gonna do this thing or like if I don't show up to class, I just don't show up to class. Like nobody cares. That's so funny. I like really. <laughs> I really thrived when I went to college and like, as far as like like I stopped feeling like I was being so rebellious in college or like in the in the outside world because it was just like. Nobody cares if you, like, don't do this thing. They, like, care, but, like, you don't, 
you don't get the recognition of being rebellious. Yeah. Like, well, that's everyone's your autonomous anyway. Exactly. So what's the difference? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I feel like that's a really interesting like so social maybe, commentary about being an adult. <laughs> yeah. It's like I need maybe, you know, I wish that there were more expectations of me and then I would just <laughs> mess them all up. Rebel <laughs> against them, I guess. Yeah, I mean I think that there is uh that we're all, you know, uh the capitalist nine to five society that we found <laughs> ourselves in is yeah. the thing that we uh you know are probably it could be more rebellious against but oh yeah you know you, you know what i'm talking about marxist yeah <laughs> there's so much more yeah there's so much more to rebel against than what i'm saying that's so true yeah no I, and i'm not trying to be like oh well there's plenty to rebel no, against. i'm I, just saying like i totally agree it, with you I, I really think that's that's an interesting commentary though to to get to this point and like you do have stuff that you could theoretically rebel against but at the same time you also have to pay your rent and yeah. you know feed yourself and that autonomy kind of removes uh, some of the yeah. rebelliousness yeah just that capitalism is just like so oppressive that <laughs> I actually am now a capitalist uh, <laughs> some truth to it yeah it's like you can't not just work within the realms of societal expectations, but still. Yes. If if you yeah. do, it's like it turns into like a, you know, into the wild or yeah, Captain Fantastic or however you want to. Any of those stories Captain about Fantastic. dudes taking their Captain Fantastic is this uh, Viggo Mortensen movie that came out like a year or two ago, and it's just about this dad who like raised all his kids in the woods and like taught them through books and stuff like that. So it's like I think that film uh and maybe it's just because i'm a fan of of film in general it's but into the wild is based on a, a real story i think and well it's definitely based on a book uh regardless but it's i think there is a um romanticism tied to that idea still yeah to, to taking yourself off the grid and not having to answer to anyone but then i feel like most of those stories just end with like it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, is there anything, any other closing thoughts? I'm going to think about the closing thoughts for probably the next few hours. And then I'm going to come up with an answer like 10 days from now. It'll be too late. So that's, I won't give any <laughs> that's closing want, thoughts now. That's want to happen. Yeah. Uh, was your... What is the one thing that you would have people that you would point people to if they're interested in uh, kind of reading more about uh, what you're talking about here? Um, this one's a deep cut, but it's one of my favorites. It's a book called Tender Violence, and it looks at um, it looks at colonialism um, either within the United States or the United States going abroad, and it's it's through photographs, and it looks at it through like. Um, family pictures or pictures that someone took on a boat or something like that. And that's wow. really um, neat to me, especially if you're someone that's not, um, doesn't want to particularly read a, um, <laughs> like a, a really, dense text. Yeah. A dense text. And you just want to look at pictures. It's fantastic. I think yeah. that's a, a good suggestion. Alyssa, thank you so much for doing hey, this. Thank you. I really, I really appreciated this whole conversation. I really appreciate being here and you listening and talking with me. It's so nice. Thanks. I love you. And I mean that. Hey, you too.
this has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today and go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.